Go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 this morning. I've had this message on my heart for a while, and something was brought up to me uh, it was several months ago. Just you know, a question kind of came my way, and I thought, you know, I need to preach a message about that. I've been wanting to preach about this for a while, and I'm finally getting around to it. But um, I want to talk this morning about dealing with doubt. And you know, I, I think it's something that we all probably face at some point in our life. Some of you might be dealing with some doubts. You read that pathetic article in the newspaper that was shown to me this morning. Uh, that, that you know, that was just ridiculous. That what was, what was that article called? It was something about you know the dangers of just taking the Bible literally. And then they went in there, and they didn't give any examples. They just said it's not true. And it looked like it was in a response to something that somebody else wrote, who probably took the Bible literally like you're supposed to. And basically, this article, the way it summed it up is, you know, they gave their side, and their their rebuttal was, nope, you're wrong, and then didn't do anything in there to prove it. Just ridiculous. And you know what? That's all. They don't have anything. You know, they really have nothing. But at the same time, we do hear a lot of these things. We hear, you know, there's the naysayers out there. You've got the atheists out there. You've got the news media. and You've got Hollywood that, you know, make... You know, you look. You know, they make Christians and Bible believers look like there's something wrong with them, like they're ignorant and they're idiots or something. And you know what? There are some stories that we read in the Bible that are pretty incredible, that are pretty amazing. You know, and it's funny too how you know the world—they're all down on Christians. You know, t- believing the Bible, taking the Bible literally. But you know, nobody's offended by all these superhero movies where you know guys fly around and shoot fire out of their eyes and you know, turn it, you know, get angry and get big and green and muscular. And, you know, that's all appropriate. Kids can wear that, those things to school and nobody gets offended by that, you know, a Superman logo or whatever. Nobody gets offended by that, but, you know, they wear a cross or something, then all of a sudden, you know, we got to shut the school down and, you know, we got to, you know, have some, uh, you know, training on how we're going to deal with this and, you know, bring in grief counselors because some kid got offended because he saw a cross, you know, when maybe he was Jewish or a Muslim. It's absolutely ridiculous, but we hear all these things. It's thrown our way. You know, the devil, he wants us to doubt. He doesn't want us to believe the Bible. He doesn't want us to take these things literally. And so we just got to face the reality. We're going to have these things. They're, they're going to come up. They're going to be brought up. They're not going away anytime soon. But I want to read a story to you in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, a well-known uh, story. It says, and I, I happen to believe this story. I happen to take it literally. I do not believe it's figurative. I don't believe it's just, you know, a parable, something teaches a lesson. This happened, all right? This really happened. I've been to the place where this happened. It happened in a real literal place, and it, it literally happened. Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. <clears throat> And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. On the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid 
and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Wherefore didst thou doubt? Peter just walked on the water for a little bit. And I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not even really trying to be funny here. But I want to try to answer that question you know, for a second. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Okay? Well, first of all, well, I was walking on the water. That's not supposed to happen. That has never happened. It's impossible to walk on the water. So, yeah, I got a little, I, I got afraid. What was happening shouldn't have been happening. Um, there was a storm going on. There was big waves, waves that could come and that could kill me and I could drown. Uh, you know, th- to me, there was, weren't there some reasons to doubt? I mean, anybody, you know, nobody's ever walked in the water before. If this is not, this is something that literally is impossible. You don't think it's impossible? Go try it sometime. Well, if you did, you, right now you could do it, like on the comic on the back of the bulletin because everything's frozen right now. <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah, in, in the summertime, go try it. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, obviously, God doesn't want us all out walking on the water all the time. This was a special miracle that He did right here. It was part of Him proving who He was. God, or Jesus Christ was able to defy the laws of physics because He's the one that created the laws of physics. He's the creator of everything. So He can do these things. He can raise people from the dead, which is also impossible, but yet He did it. He, Jesus did a lot of things that were impossible. He, these things are called miracles. He did these as signs to prove he was who he said he was. And so, um, you know, I, you know, but when I read this story and I see Peter doubting, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I can relate. Okay? I get why he doubted. Jesus didn't get why he doubted. And I just want to, you know, kick these things, this off by saying there are no excuses for doubting. Okay? While you and I can make excuses and we will understand each other, we have no excuse to doubt. We, it, it is always wrong to doubt. It's always a sin to doubt. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says, "...wherein God, uh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath." The immutability, you know, it, the unchangingness. It, it didn't, it's something that doesn't change. That by two immutable things, two things that can't change, okay, that this is never going to change, that in which it was impossible for God to lie. That's an immutable thing. It was, it was impossible for God to lie, and that can't change. God cannot lie. It's impossible. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Note we sing that song, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. That anchor is the fact that we can we can trust what God says. It's impossible for Him to lie. It is impossible for God's Word to not come to pass. If the Bible says something, it's it's true. You can't change that. Oh, well, you know, what if, what if the Bible's wrong? Well, that's impossible too because God promised in back in Psalms that He was going to preserve His Word for all generations. So you know what? You know, it, it's impossible for the Bible to be wrong. It can't happen. It, it can't be done. It's impossible for God to lie. And for us to doubt God, we are, we are literally worrying about something that is impossible. And it's like, 
you know, I don't think we need to worry about, you know, aliens coming and taking over and getting. I don't worry about getting abducted by an alien tonight. I don't think that's going to happen. That's impossible. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that stuff. Hey, you know what? I don't need to worry, sit around worrying that God's not going to keep His promises. If God promised He'll never leave us or forsake us, I don't need to worry about that. If God taught us and promised that we can't lose our salvation, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about going to hell. I don't need to fear those things. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie. I don't need to worry about things that are impossible. I don't need to worry, what if I go outside and all of a sudden gravity goes away and I just go flying up into the sky? It's impossible. It's not going to happen. We don't worry about those things. You know, we don't. We don't. You know, it's amazing some of the things that people come up to. You know, that they worry about. But there are some things that people literally worry about that are impossible. They're not going to happen. And God is not going to lie. We should never doubt His word. But you know what? Everyone has doubts at some points. Okay, I'm telling you all this, but I'm not going to tell you that I never have had a doubt. And that I don't still sometimes have doubts. Everyone has doubts at some point. But you know what? That's no excuse for doubting. Just because everyone does it doesn't mean it's an excuse. In fact, the Bible does teach that everyone you know, worries about things. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 12 and verse 27, He said, Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass of the feet, uh, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O ye of little faith? Right there, I want to throw this in. This is a great verse for environmentalists that think that plant life and the planet is more important than human life. God says, you know what? You're way more important than plants. Okay, Just remember that. And then verse 29, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. For all these things... Do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father that ye knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. God said all the worst of the world, they worry about things. They worry about tomorrow, as it says in one of the other accounts of this story. You know, the, the nations of the world, they all fear these things. They worry. They doubt. They wonder if they're going to be taken care of. But you know what? We shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be of a doubtful mind like everyone else is. Like the, all the lost people are. Like even many Christians are who doubt. Listen, we all doubt sometimes, but we shouldn't do it. It's, it's always wrong. If you're having doubts in your mind right now, I'm not trying to pick on you, but understand those doubts are unnecessary. You shouldn't have those doubts. You need to try to get past them and get over them. I'm going to try to tell you how to do that. And I said, I'm not, I'm not just preaching to you people. I'm preaching to myself too. There's times I look at things and I'm like, Lord, what's going on here? Something's wrong. I face doubts too. But let me tell you, it's very clear from the Scripture, if we claim to be Bible believers, and we do, that we've got to realize anytime we have doubts, we are wrong. We are wrong for doubting, and we need to find out how to get rid of those doubts. Some of the best Christians ever have doubted. But you know what? That's no excuse either. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, this is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And it says, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. That's talking about the disciples. In the book of John, it gets more specific and it talks about Thomas was one of them. That he doubted. He doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. He said, I've got to see it first. These people doubted Jesus rose from the dead, which once again, 
It's another impossible thing. They shouldn't have doubted it because Jesus raised many people from the dead. He said that He was going to be raised from the dead, but they still doubted these guys who had walked with Jesus for three years. They still had doubts. But once again, it was no excuse. Jesus upbraided them for their unbelief. It mentioned in the Bible. He, I mean, He got on to them for their unbelief. So I'm just saying all this to tell you that you know, we've established the fact, I think, that we should never doubt. There is no excuse for doubting. It is always a sin to doubt. But we've established the fact that everybody doubts. And the truth is, even though we know all these things, the fact is, some of you in here right now, if not today, in the near future, you're going to deal with doubts right at some point. You might be dealing with doubts right now. Maybe some of you all, you know, your faith is weak enough where you read that article and it caused you to doubt. <laughs> that poorly written, you know, no details, no substance article. You know, that, that's, that's enough for some people. That, oh, man, it says it in the newspaper that we're not supposed to take the Bible literally. Therefore, it's got to be true. I mean, you know, the Daily Gazette can't be wrong, can it? Well, I, I, yeah, yeah. And it was right there, too. It's very possible for a newspaper to be wrong. It's impossible for God to be wrong. It's impossible for His Word to be wrong. And never, listen, we're not talking about this today, but never try to separate God being, you know, what, you know, God from His Word, okay? If God can't lie, then God's Word can't be wrong. Because God promised that He would preserve His Word for all generations. And that's another subject. Our Bible, it's accurate. It is right on the money. You don't have any reason to doubt this King James Bible. Don't ever let anybody... You know, people are going to try to cause you to. They're going to throw doubt your way. They've been thrown my way before. I've struggled. I've gone through some of these things. But you know what? We're always, we're always wrong. We're always wrong when we doubt. So how can we deal with doubts when they come in our life? Because they are going to come. Things are going to come your way. And so first off, we've got to realize that doubting... It's a side effect of backsliding. Okay? Doubting is a side effect of backsliding. Look what it says back in, again in uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. It says, you know, Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Okay? Now there is a reason that Peter doubted. Okay? You know why Peter doubted? The Bible tells us right before that is because he saw the wind boisterous and he was afraid. You know what he did? He took his eyes off Jesus Christ. He lost his focus. Okay? Keeping your eyes on Christ, staying focused on Christ, is it's not always easy. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ. Now listen, you can try that today. You can decide, you know what, I'm going to keep my eyes on Christ. I'm going to get focused on Christ. And He may give you peace. He may take away your doubts. But you know what? You're going to leave this place. You're going to go out in the world. And the devil's going to throw things in your way. He's going to send circumstances in your life. And he's going to see if he can get you focused on those things. He's going to see if he can get you focused on the trials in your life. He's going to see if he can get you focused on the storms that are in your life. There's plenty of things out there. You know, maybe problems will come your way. Sickness will come your way. You know, catastrophe. You know, there's all kinds of things that the devil uses to get our focus off of Jesus Christ. When it comes to things in the house of God, many times the devil will get our focus on things, you know, maybe a drama in the church. Maybe, maybe the, you know, he'll get the pastor to mess up. You know, the devil, he, 
He messes with the preacher sometimes. And he, if he can get them to sin, many times it causes everybody to take their focus off Jesus, focus on the preacher, or focus on another Christian, and all of a sudden, I don't know what to believe anymore. Oh, that preacher, you know, he preached all that stuff. You know, he taught us we can trust the Word of God, but it turns out he was just a big phony. Well, listen, just because, you know, and preachers do, they mess up. If they were preaching the Word of God, the Word of God's still true. What they preached was still true. Anything I say up here that comes from the Word of God, it's true no matter what I do. You know, me going and killing somebody doesn't change the fact that God's Word is true. But what does the devil do? He gets you focused on those people. You know, the news media, they love it whenever a preacher falls into sin, whenever a preacher, you know, gets busted in some scandal or does something really bad because it's their way of saying everything that guy taught was a lie. He was he was a phony. He was a fake. And you know what? Maybe he was, but if his message came from the word of God, well the word of God his message was true. But people do, they get focused on the wrong thing. And if you get your eyes off of Jesus Christ, you're going to have doubts. You're going to begin to sink like Peter did. If you start focusing on the false prophets that are out there, if you start getting involved in false religions, reading some of these books by you know people that aren't believers or people that just do nothing but cause doubts, if you allow a Jehovah's Witness to come in your house and talk to you, all the Jehovah's Witnesses have ever done whenever I've made the mistake of talking to them is just try to cause you to question everything. They never give you direct answers. If you ever ask a Jehovah's Witness a question, I don't recommend you doing that. The only thing you should ask them is to leave. But if you do ask them a question, you know what they usually do? They ask you another question. Kind of like the devil, what he did in the Garden of Eden. He just kept getting Eve to question what God had said. Just causing questions. And she lost her focus. She sinned. It's the, the exact same way the devil does things is the way the Jehovah's Witness do things when they come to your house. Just get you questioning everything. It's very satanic methods, satanic religion. And we've got to be careful of those things because anything that causes us to get our focus off Christ is going to cause us to backslide. You get focused on something, you get focused on the wrong thing, you're going to start going the wrong direction. That's called backsliding. Oh, well, I'm only, you know, veering off to the left or the right. You know, it's not, you know, if you're, you're getting farther away from God, you're backsliding. If you are not as close to God, Today, as you were a year ago, you've backslidden. We ought to always be moving forward. We ought to always be getting better. And But sadly, we, we get our focus wrong, and that's what happened to Peter. Once he quit looking at Christ and was looking at everything else, you know, what, you know he, one of the things he probably looked at, he probably looked at his feet. He probably looked at the water and said, you know what, water can't hold me up. And he's right. Water can't hold you up. But you know what? Jesus was in His presence. When He's around, amazing things can happen. But He got His focus off of Him. And you've got to make sure you do that. If you're dealing with doubts, it's because you've lost your focus. You're looking at, you're looking at everything else. Many, and there's so many things that we can let get a sidetrack. But backsliding, it comes completely natural to us. We do it without even trying. The Bible says in the Old Testament, God was talking about Israel. He said, My people are bent on backsliding. They're bent on backsliding. Have you ever had, you know, uh, you know to be bent, it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, those, uh, like, have you ever tried shooting an arrow that was bent? Okay, when you shoot, if you shoot a bent arrow, and I've done that before, it doesn't fly straight. 
It doesn't go the way you want it to go. It veers off. You need something that's straight, something that, that's level. And Israel, they were just kind of bent. They just naturally would go away from God. And that's how we are in our sinful nature. We just we naturally do the wrong thing. We naturally doubt. We naturally lose our temper. We naturally sin. All of those things come natural to us. And so we've got to stay focused. We've got to make an effort to keep our focus on Christ. You're not just going to wake up in the morning and just naturally want to follow Christ and keep your focus on Christ. You're going to naturally want to focus on the things of the world. You're going to naturally want to focus on the flesh instead of the Spirit. And so you've got to, you've got to stay focused. If you don't, you're going to deal with doubts. You know, Doubting happens when we forget who we are. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Prince, he's going to be heading back to college here uh, this afternoon. And last last Sunday, he he did a really good uh, Sunday school lesson. I got a lot out of it. I mean, he I got a lot of stuff I've been kind of chewing on here for a while, and I'm planning on preaching some things uh, that that I on some things that I got from that. But look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen. I think this kind of goes along with what uh, a little bit of what he taught about last week. But it says, "Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh." Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that verse 17 is a very well-known verse here, but verse 16, that's one that's not talked about as much. And it's kind of a confusing verse there. What's he talking about there? You know, What does it mean, you know, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ? After the flesh, now henceforth know we him no more. What what's that? What is that talking about there? Well, understand that. Okay, do do any of us in here know Christ after the flesh? Have we met Jesus Christ in the flesh? Well, obviously we haven't. Okay. Now there were some back then who had known Christ in the flesh. They had seen him. You know, they had uh, Peter. You know, talked about how you know they you know they felt him, they handled him. There was John, you know, who leaned upon his breast. They knew Jesus Christ in the flesh, but they didn't know him anymore in the flesh. He was gone. He's in heaven. Okay, he is he is there in heaven today. We don't know him after the flesh anymore, or but we do know him. Okay, but how do we know him? We know him spiritually. And that's why when it says, Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We now are spiritual as well as physical, aren't we? Okay, But we're not supposed to be focused on the physical. We're not supposed to live in the flesh. We're not supposed to walk according to the flesh. We're supposed to walk according to the Spirit. And the things that we know, the things that, or the things that we believe, we know these things in our spirit. Okay? For example, I know I'm saved, but I know that in the spirit. Okay? Not necessarily in, in the flesh. Because you know what? This flesh still wants to sin, doesn't it? This flesh, okay, it, it only knows the physical. This flesh can only experience the physical. This flesh, you know, because it's bent on sin, it causes me to want to doubt. It causes me to want to question God. But you know what? I don't have to do those things. I also am spiritual. I've been saved. I've been resurrected spiritually. 
And so, when it comes to my salvation, I can say that I know I'm saved. I can say that I know I'm on my way to heaven. But I know that spiritually, when I got saved, nothing physically changed with me. I looked the same. You know, I smelled the same. I might have started acting a little bit different. But that was because of my spirit. There was something that happened in my spirit. But physically, nothing changed. And what, what happens with us, we forget who we are. And who are we? Well, we are somebody who is born of God spiritually. We have a spiritual side of us. And understand, whenever you are doubting, it's because you are thinking about the physical. When you doubt, when you're thinking, you know, I know the Bible says God will provide for all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, but you know what? I just don't see how that's going to happen. You're looking according to the, with eyes of flesh. You know, when you're, well, when you're maybe sick or when you're praying for something, uh, you know, I, I don't see how anything's going to be accomplished here. I don't see how this is going to help somebody. You know why? Because you're looking through physical eyes. We've got to learn to start looking through spiritual eyes. That's what we do when it comes to our salvation. I mean, did it, did anybody in here physically see something happen when you got saved? Did you physically see, you know, Jesus in the flesh? Did you all of a sudden, you know, have a cloven tongue of fire over your head? You know, did you? I mean, no, you didn't. That didn't happen. You just you believed. So the Bible teaches: believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that new nature, it focuses on the spiritual, not the physical. The words of God, they are, they are spiritual. Okay? And we've got, we forget that, you know what? Whenever the world is questioning the Bible, it's because they're only looking at the physical. They're only looking at what they can see. Well, as spiritual, we look at the things that we can't see. I'm going to show you more Scripture on that in a little bit. But, you know... Uh, the natural man, the Bible teaches, it cannot understand spiritual things. And understand, the reason much of the world just can't get the things that seem to come, you know, we totally get, it's because they're lost. Okay? They are not spiritual. They are only the natural man. And the Bible says it's, it's impossible for them to understand it. Unless they get saved, they've got to become spiritual to be able to understand it. Too many times we get way too physical even in our Bible study. And the natural eyes will give you plenty of reasons for doubting. There are going to be plenty of things that you can see with your physical eyes that are going to say, you know what, that's an excuse to doubt. You know, that's proof that you're wrong. But you know what? The spiritual eyes will never give you a reason to doubt. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Another familiar passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen, okay, those, everything we see, everything that is in this universe that you and I can see with our eyes, things we can feel with our hands, these things we understand they were made by things which do not appear. They were, it was all started by God who is spiritual. He brought everything into existence. We know that. We believe that. But we can only see that through spiritual eyes. I can't see God. 
I can't see. I wasn't there when you know creation happened. I didn't see that thing, though those things. But I can believe those things. But the the natural eyes, it's going to give you plenty of reasons to doubt. But spiritualized, they never will. We believe in things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. The things that we believe in, there is nothing physically I can show you to prove these things to you. They are spiritual. But you know, the natural man, he receives all of his guidance, you know, through results. But the spiritual man receives guidance through the word. For example, what the natural man will do, you know, he'll go, all right, well, where can I find truth? All right, I want to find, and maybe, you know, he'll go and see a church maybe like this one that's a smaller church and think, oh, they must not be preaching the truth there. There's not as many people going there. They look at results. Hey, which place has the biggest crowd? Which place looks, you know, is having the most fun? You know, which place has people passing out and getting slain in the spirit? You know, they look at all those things. They look at all the, the physical things. Well, they've got the nicest building. They've got the most money. Where the, you know, the Bible teaches you know, none of those things prove anything. But people do. They look, at, they look at physical things. But when it comes to the new creature that we are, who we are, who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to operate, we go off the spiritual things. We go off the Word of God. The way we judge what church is good or not good is are they following the Scriptures? It doesn't matter what the size of the church is. It doesn't matter what the building looks like. It doesn't matter how few people are there. Are they going according to the Scriptures? That's what determines a successful church. The one who's doing things according to the Word of God. But that's not what most people look at. And even Baptists are like that sometimes today. You know, they judge, you know, whether somebody's right or wrong with God on, you know, how blessed they are. Wow, look at that guy's house. Look at the cars that he's driving. Look at the clothes that he wears. He must be right with God. He's got a lot of money. Well, good night. If being rich and having things made you right with God, then, you know, we should be all, you know, worshiping guys like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Donald Trump and people like that. But you know, we don't we should know better than that. But a lot of people they they can't get past that. Why? Cuz they're only looking at physical things. And if you do, if you focus on the physical, you will have doubts. You if you if you're trying to determine what's right or wrong based on what people are doing, you're going to have doubts. Well, man, this church is preaching, you know, the pastor preached that we ought to do this, but you know what? Uh, yeah, he showed the scriptures where it says you ought to do that, but people aren't doing that. Most churches don't do that. Most people in this church aren't even doing these things. So it must not be true. You know what you're doing? You're looking at the physical. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. What does the Bible say? And you know what? If, if the Bible says it, do it. Who cares what everybody else is doing? We overcome doubting. Okay, The doubts are going to come, but the way we overcome doubting is by doing what we're supposed to do no matter what. We should follow God's command despite results. Psalms chapter 126 and verse 5, it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Right here we see a promise from God. Okay, but wait a minute. I've gone out witnessing before. I've gone out bearing precious seed before. And I didn't come again with rejoicing. And what you know, I, I didn't get I didn't see anybody get saved. And you know what most people will do? They'll try to figure out, well, what did you do wrong? 
Oh, you forgot the tears. Oh man, I forgot the tears. Okay. You know, you know, so you work up some tears, and then you go out, and then you go bearing precious. I still didn't see anybody get saved. I still didn't see the results I wanted to get. You know, I want to. I want to be a good pastor. I want to get big crowds. I want to fill the church up. Maybe I just need to pray more. And so you know, I go and I pray, and I pray for hours. And oh man, we had we had a lower crowd than the week before. I must be doing something wrong. You know what what happened? And then people start doubting. You know what that's called? That's called looking at the physical. Those who look through spiritual eyes, okay, they obey the scripture no matter what they see. Doesn't matter what happens. You know what? The Bible says, "He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him." Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to keep on witnessing whether I see results or I don't see results. Whether I see somebody get saved that day or I don't see somebody get saved that day. So, but if you're not seeing anybody get saved, God's promise wasn't fulfilled. Well, I don't know that. Maybe it's the next guy that comes along and witnesses that's going to get them saved. I still had a part in that. You know, Paul planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. I might not necessarily see the results with my own eyes, but that doesn't mean they're not happening. It doesn't mean that doesn't not mean that one bit. The Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirteen: These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared for them a city. You know what he was talking about here? He was talking about Abraham. God had promised him some things. God had promised him a seed that no man could number. God had promised him a land that was an everlasting inheritance. And you know what? Abraham, he believed God, but he never saw those things. He never saw the results, but he believed in them even though he didn't see them. Even though he never necessarily got them on this earth. And you know what God said about that man? He said he wasn't ashamed to be called his father. Think about that. So what what are you saying here? You know what that means? That means we are going to believe God no no matter what happens. In other words, we are going to do... We're going to go ahead and do things that are impossible. Okay, whenever everything in our flesh says that can't be done, you know what we do? We just go ahead and do it anyway. For example, walking on the water is impossible, but you know what? Peter did it anyway. Raising people from the dead is impossible, but Jesus did it. Even some of the disciples did it. Paul, it's impossible to raise somebody from the dead, but Paul raised somebody from the dead. Peter, you know, he he healed crippled men. That's impossible to do, but you know what? He did it anyway. And you know how is he able to do that? He wasn't thinking physically. He was thinking spiritually. Some and sometimes there's going to be, you know, all the results, everything that the world sees might tell us you have failed, you have not accomplished anything, you are not successful. But if we are doing what the Bible says and just believing that God is keeping His promises no matter what. According to the Bible, God's not ashamed to be called your father. Some of the things that you know our results, we might not realize what they are or see them till we get to heaven. Right. I, we don't. We don't know. We don't. You don't know what kind of effect you're having out there. That person that you witnessed to that maybe slammed the door in your face and made fun of you, you don't know what happened to him after that. You don't know what's going to happen 
later on down the road, you might not ever see it. You know, the greatest things that I ever accomplish in my life, I might not see them in my life. In fact, some of the greatest things I ever accomplish, not only may I not ever see them, but nobody else may ever realize that what was accomplished was through what I had done. Okay, but and so you know what? That having said all that, I can never make the mistake of judging whether I'm doing right or wrong on results, on things that I can see with my physical eyes. You know what I'm just going to do? I'm going to believe God. He told me I need to go out and be a witness. So you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep on knocking doors. I'm going to keep on witnessing to people whether I see results or not. I'm going to keep on preaching what His Word says even if I don't completely get it and understand it. If I see something in the Bible is taught and it's very clear, it's true, I'm going to keep on preaching it even if everybody says, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. Even if everybody says, no, you're wrong. Well, sorry, the Bible says this, I'm preaching it anyway. Just, I'm, I'm, trusting, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God no matter what I see. And all these things that cause us to doubt are things that we're looking at with physical eyes. Oh, well, you, that message you preached, it was from the Word of God, but boy, you cleared the church out. Everybody's gone. You were obviously wrong. Not necessarily. It sure looks like it. If I look through my physical eyes, man, I, I, split the, I, I, I ran everybody in the church off. And if, if I was preaching the truth, I didn't fail. Okay, I was successful. I did the right thing. But yeah, but the church is empty. Well, yeah, if we're going to look through physical things, I did, I, I did fail. But we're looking through the spiritual things. I did what the Bible said to do. And therefore, I'm successful. I can't prove it physically, but spiritually. And so, we should just trust God despite what others think or say. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Just because just some ding-dong writes a message, saying the uh, an article in the paper saying the Bible's not true, does that mean it's not true? Absolutely not. You know what? The Bible says, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah, but what if he's a preacher? He's a liar. Well, what, what, if, what if they're a genius? What if they're really smart? Have a really high IQ? They're a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. What if it's your grandma? She's a liar. All right, you know, no matter who it is, let God be true and every man a liar. We've just got to get that in our head. Well, look, look you know, what about, what about results? What about everything we see? Lies. Okay, this world, it's a lie. God is true. Let every man lie. That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. When I, that's what it's all about right there. Is not what is the, what is the whole world... It's not what the world says about me when I die. It's what does God stand, say about me when I stand before Him on Judgment Day. And I'm going to be judged according to how I handled this... This book right here, what it says. Did I do what he said even when everything said that can't be done? You know, I had a pastor here in town tell me, you know, you can't build a church by knocking doors. You're not going to get... Okay, fine. I'm going to do it anyway. You know what? We did it anyway. We've done it anyway. One of the the realtors we worked with came, you know, this isn't a good place to start a church. This is a good time. You're not going to be able to get people to come. Nobody's going to want to give towards it. You saying she was wrong? No, I think she was right, but you know what? We did it anyway. Why? She was only right on the physical end. On the spiritual end, she was dead wrong. And so, you know, we did it anyway. 
even though people said it can't be done and we're going to keep on doing these things. When the world, preachers, when math, when science, when government, and even when your own wicked heart and mind are telling you that something is impossible and can't be done, just do it anyway. Just go ahead and do it anyway. Many want to see results before they believe, but God wants us to believe. What if I don't receive results in my lifetime? Just believe anyway. Like Abraham. Like those that are mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Just believe anyway. If you got a Scripture for it, just claim it. Say, you know what? That's, that's all I need. Like a lawyer, I rest my case. Here, here's what the Bible says. Read it. You know, they need to drop the microphone thing, you know, and they really tell somebody, you know, just do that. That's all we need. And so, don't doubt. So, with that, let's all stand together.